Cause you wake up in the world of broken hope Are you there already begging for the rope? Are you trying to sit back and toe the line? Or do you think that you can barely find the time? Some of us prepare Welcome to Bold Conversations About Race, a podcast brought to you by Surge National in collaboration with Small Beans Comedy and produced by White People for Black Lives. I'm one of your hosts, Thalia Ferlito, and I use they, them pronouns. And I'm Yvette Ale, and I use they, them pronouns as well. Chanel Gallant has been active in grassroots movements for sex workers' rights and racial justice for 20 years as an organizer, movement strategist, trainer, fundraiser, writer, and speaker. She's on the leadership team for Showing Up for Racial Justice, co-founded the Migrant Sex Worker Project Toronto, has worked with sex work organizations locally and internationally. Her writing on the political intersections of sexuality and social justice have appeared in dozens of publications and anthologies, most recently in a really great book, I will say, Beyond Survival, and another excellent book, Pleasure Activism. She's the queer film eldest daughter of a single mom and jubilant abolitionist based in Toronto, Canada. What's up, Chanel? Hey, Dahlia. And I'll just say that I know Chanel personally for the last couple of years being on the Surge National Leadership Team, and I love you lots, and I'm so thrilled that you're here with us. Oh, thank you, Delia. I'm so happy you invited me to be here. All right. So we're going to begin. I'm going to open us up with a question, and then uh, we'll just be hitting you back and forth. So we're going to begin with the basics. Let us know, like, what is sex work, and why do we use that term and not other types of words to talk about it? Yeah. Um... I mean, language is really political, right? And um, any marginalized community generally wants to be able to control the language that's used to describe them. Um, Because often the terms for marginalized communities are created by their oppressors and they're degrading. Um, And so the term sex work was actually created in, I can't remember if it was the late 70s or early 80s, by a long-term sex work activist named Carol Lee Uh, in the Bay Area of California. And she created this term because she wanted to highlight sex work as a form of labor, not a criminal activity. Um, And so the term like prostitution is the language that gets used in criminal codes, uh, you know, similar to terms like sodomy and buggery that once were, there's, you know, many racist or ableist terms that were in the criminal code, some still are. Uh, But the idea of uh, the phrase sex work was to create a term that took the language of sex work outside of the criminal code. And it's, um, and it's broad. It's actually an umbrella term. It doesn't just refer to prostitution. It refers to any exchange of sex or sexual entertainment for some form of compensation. So many people use other terms, like they might use adult industry worker. Uh, some people would use terms that are more specific to their part of the industry, like they might say stripper or professional dominatrix or cam girl. But the idea of sex work is that it signals respect for people in the sex industry. Great. Thank you so much for laying that important foundation to this conversation, because I think a lot of people will often conflate different terms or will use terms that are dehumanizing and maybe unintentionally, right? Because that's what they might see, you know, lifted up in some of these like procedural crime drama kind of shows and things like that and not really know yeah. that that's actually like not the way we want to talk about other human beings who are engaging in this type of work. So that yeah. thank you for laying yeah. that out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and humanizing sex work is really important. Um and so I'd, I'd love to hear from you who sex workers are, who sell sex, and, and why do some people sell sex? 
Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, basically, to, to, to state it really broadly, everyone who's marginalized sells sex because it's a way that people can make money with their own emotions and bodies. So if you, sex workers are overwhelmingly cisgender and transgender women and LGBTQ people who are poor or working class, racialized, migrant, disabled, trans, it's basically um, sex work is the economic safety net for people who are marginalized under capitalism. And so they sell sex because it's a thing you can sell that you own, right? And so if you, the only other work available to you is really bad work or no work at all, you've got your body and you've got your emotions. And I mention emotions specifically because people really, um, I think it really degrades sex work to think that it's just using the body when in fact what sex workers are selling is pretty sophisticated emotional labor of making people feel good and happy. And that is not easy to do, <laughs> um, that's skilled work. So um, it's work, you know, people sell sex because it is the best or only work available to them. So I'll give you an example, a really high percentage of sex workers are disabled um, and they sell sex because they can control when they work. They can take days off or go home early without getting fired by their boss um, or their single parents and sex work allows them the flexibility to be with their kids. Um, and you know, what you're saying, Yvette, about humanizing, I think is really important because sex workers are hypersexualized. but to be honest, sex work is not very sexy to sex workers. Like it's a job, it's an economic safety net. It's how people make a living in a really bullshit economic system. And that's actually a lot more important to, to sex workers than the sex of the work. Yeah. And I think like, you know, something in my experience as a, in, in the world of like HIV prevention and treatment that I come from my background and, you know, almost two decades or so um, in, in, the, in that field, in the field of harm reduction, they often use the term transactional, right? Like it's like sex in exchange yeah. for what? For basics, for money, for food, for housing, right? And oftentimes the people who are engaging that, like you were saying, like when we're thinking about how discrimination works and to like bring that in like a little bit more where it's like, you know, folks are discriminated against. Folks don't have access to jobs. They can't just go to the local, you know, supermarket and get a job or go to a, a, a target and get a job or go to wherever else to get a job. And because because, you know, they don't conform to, you know, society's standards around gender and therefore they are unable to get a, a job that would pay them in the sort of like, quote, formal employment economy that you know society has dictated for all of us and so but people still have to eat people still have to live people still need a roof over their head and oftentimes that as you are talking about is the only uh way that they can make an you know an economic living to be able to make money to be able to survive right and then we yeah. also know that there are degrees around you know the reasons why people engage in that and, and so forth but um yeah and i think the focus on sex work really takes the deflects the attention off the problems in our economy. Like people are all so upset about sex work because it's deviant sex. They're fine with that sex as long as the woman's not getting paid. Everyone thinks that's, mm -hmm. that's really cute. Oh, you have sex with your husband every day? Oh, that's so beautiful and romantic. Mm -hmm. But if, it's, if there's money involved, all of a sudden now it's a criminal problem. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this hyper focus on what's seen as like the problem of sex work and not a focus on why are the only people giving money to people who need to survive sex work clients? Like, what about businesses paying a living wage? What about the government offering us a universal basic income? What about our government providing us with universal services? That's what actually we should be thinking about when people are upset about sex work. Personally, I think they should shut the fuck up and be (laughs) concerned about the economic survival of people selling sex and their right to survive a really bad economy, which is racist and sexist and ableist. And I'm like, go get your money. Right. I am very happy for people who make sure that they they protect themselves against poverty through sex work and they deserve respect and dignity and, um, and human rights. Right. And well, let's, let's get into that a little bit. Like what is the situation like for sex workers right now? What's happening? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I can't really speak to the range of that, like for a few reasons. One, sex work is super diverse Two, I'm based in a different country, but Mm -hmm. here's what I'm, what I can say about that. Um, People often assume that sex work is the cause of harm and tragedy in a person's life. Um, again, in a way that they never would have when that that sex is free. But um, the real problems that sex workers face are because of who they are. They're, you know, and sex work is criminalized because it's done by poor and working class, mostly women and queer people of color. So how are things for them right now? Well, not good. They've never been good. You know, things are not good for marginalized people living in a climate crisis, a hyper exploitative economy, um, the, you know, tail end of a pandemic. Like some people are thriving and that's great and they always will. But it really depends on the sector because some sex workers have been very negatively affected by criminalization and the pandemic. And that and for some it's it's the pandemic has made things a lot worse and a lot harder. Um, and criminalization against sex workers just keeps intensifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of criminalization, can you talk a little bit about what the different legal regulatory systems are, you know, criminalization, decriminalization, legalization? You know, what's the difference? Because we hear folks, you know, say we need to decriminalize sex work or no, we need to legalize sex work. Um, so can, can you talk a little bit about the differences? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, something that's really important to understand is that often when people want to support sex workers, they'll be like, we should just legalize it you know, we should just legalize it, just make it safe for everyone, make sure there's a way that people can get tested. And that sounds supportive, but you'll actually already have that in the US and Nevada, where you have legal sex work. And it's actually pretty shitty for the workers because it involves an extremely high level of government and boss control over sex workers' lives, including where they can live, what services they can offer and not offer. Um, And especially who's allowed to work and who's not allowed to work. Because the deal is with legalization, it sounds cool, but what it does is it creates a whole category of illegal workers. Uh So when you have legal workers, that means the government gets to decide who's a legal worker and who's not. And then the businesses that are given the licenses, they get to decide who they're going to allow to work or not. And guess what happens? Right. Then you have this, it creates this whole class of an underground workers who are not allowed to get licenses or permits or who are discriminated against in the businesses. 
So if you've got like migrant workers, well, the government wouldn't just, just would not allow them to have a license. Or you've got like trans people with prior convictions, the government might not allow them to get a license. Or then the bosses are going to be discriminatory and be like, no, we actually practice, you know, racial quotas, though they won't say this, where we only have a certain number of black workers who we're going to allow on. We're only going to have a tiny, if any, fat workers, et cetera. And so then that creates this, those people need to make money. So then they end up working in an illegal way. Or really criminalized because it's not naturally illegal. They're made illegal through those through those rules. So legalization sounds cool, but the reason you'll always hear sex work activists use the language of decriminalization is because there's an important difference between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, hearing you speak, I I can hear some pretty clear parallels between the legalization of marijuana, for example, um, and oh, the yeah. way that it's created this underground economy for those that have had convictions, drug convictions, uh, black and brown people. Just the other day here in L.A. County, there was a motion before the Board of Supervisors where they were going to increase enforcement of um, against illegal cannabis farms in the Antelope Valley, an area that is you know one of the poorest in the county, um, highly black and brown because of gentrification. A lot of folks that have been through the system and they want to increase enforcement and use utilizing the the narratives around environmental protection, like using water and it's bad for the kids. And, you know, it's the it's the cartels that are coming in. Um, And I I hear a lot of those same parallels in terms of um, the discussion around sex work um, and who is able to get those licenses. It's been predominantly white folks, even though the vast majority of folks that were actually actually criminalized for drug convictions have been black and brown, um, have been poor, have been queer, trans. Um, so it's really interesting to to hear how uh, that decriminalization versus legalization really spans across issues. Yeah, totally. I think you, you know, you raise a really important point, which is that People often treat the situation of sex workers as really special because, like I said, they engage in this kind of um hypersexualization of sex work and it's real sex workers are treated as really as pariahs but actually it's there's nothing special about it there's nothing different about it if you and i were to compare data of the um convictions arrests and convictions under prostitution charges it would probably look very similar to drug arrests i mean it would be i'm sure they'd be almost identical overwhelmingly the people charged um under prostitution offenses and again i'm using that language because that's the criminal code term um, are black and brown a disproportionately trans and migrant like it it's just because the thing is the criminalization of sex work it's just like everything else it's complete bullshit they tell you that it's for safety they tell you it's to prevent harm they tell you it's to protect women just like they do with drug criminalization they created the problem through the criminalization you know, having sex and then and then getting money for it is not inherently harmful or dangerous, just in the same way that drug use doesn't have to be either. They invented this problem um, and then actually created the social problem so that they would have more tools to oppress com- working class, low income communities of color. That's the point of the criminalization of sex work. It's not special. It's not different. It's not unique. It's not new. It's just the exact same thing they did with the criminalization of drugs. And, and what we ended up in the U.S. is the war on drugs, which is, as we know, is like actually a war on communities of color. And what we have with sex work 
They conflated sex work and trafficking and call it a war on trafficking. It's the same thing. They just act like, just like they act like all drugs are like scary, dangerous. And it's not like people, you know, it's not like people don't experience harm related to drugs. But a lot of that is because of the criminalization, right? And so most of it, if people just had safe, you know, access to a safe supply um, and or whatever, just like basically we know that the whole situation with drugs is manufactured as a way to oppress communities of color. It's, it's, it's a, it's the operation of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. The war on trafficking is the same thing, except far fewer people know about it and they think it's Mm well-meaning. They think it's good. They think it's like, Oh, that's good. They're going to save the women, you know, who are being exploited on the street. And that's going to be, someone's going to rescue them. And in fact, what it is, is the same war on drugs repackaged in a g- different gender label mm-hmm. where instead of, cause with drugs, what they could say is like, Oh, it's, you know um, it's like drugs are so bad and so dangerous to families and communities. And with sex work, they say the same thing, you know, sex work is so dangerous and scary and bad for families, but what they've got with the gender when, because it's largely, um, women and queer men who sell sex, they can claim that actually they're doing them a favor. That it's, that's actually um, like they rely on stereotypes of women's weakness and vulnerability to claim that the criminalization of sex work is actually a form of care. Mm-hmm. It's, it's compassionate. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the sick and twisted part is when when women actually are in those positions of harm and try to defend themselves, mm-hmm. then they are criminalized and incarcerated for exercising their agency and trying to protect themselves from harm. I know that Survived and Punished does a lot of really amazing work um, around the criminalization of women, uh, sex workers um, across gender. And this this idea of the state having to protect someone from themselves and from uh, a source of employment is is really sick and twisted considering the fact that the state refuses to provide basic services. It really goes back to to care and what you were referencing around, you know, GBI and, and UBI and, you know, providing housing, you know, as as a survivor of violence and speaking with other survivors over and over again the number one thing that we've named that would have made us safe was having access to housing and employment. Mm-hmm. Like if we would have just had that, we would have been able to to really exercise our own agency and have safety. But that getting to the root cause of, of why uh, vulnerable communities are vulnerable, it seems to be just like, com- just fly over the heads of folks that are in lawmaking positions. It's... And it goes back again to what you were saying around like the intent is actually not, you know, to um, to address um, needs of folks, but to to criminalize them, to target those marginalized populations. And you see that because the answers are in plain sight. They're just refusing to hear it. Yep, 100 percent, 100 percent. I mean, it makes me so, so angry. Like it keeps me up at night that there are young people and children who are arrested for prostitution offenses in the U.S., that is real. That is happening every day in every major city. And they're overwhelmingly black girls um, and brown girls. And instead of providing them with safe housing, um, the state tries to tell us that what they need is cops mm-hmm. and repeated arrests, 
arrest after arrest after arrest with no housing, no services, no support. Like that is, it, I just, it is just devastating and infuriating to me. And then to see um, people who are anti-sex work and pro-police, they'll say, because that by definition, that's trafficking, right? Any young person who is selling sex is engaged uh, under the U.S. law is engaging in human trafficking, but they're still busted. They're mm-hmm. still busting the young people because mm-hmm. it's treated as a um, a criminal offense versus as a young person who is in need and is has the right to care, services, support. Um, and even, even these anti-trafficking organizations that say that they support survivors and they'll say, well, we provide wraparound care. We provide, you know, um, victim-centered trauma care. They're not doing shit to stop the criminalization of those girls. Mm-hmm. They're not doing shit to make sure that those girls have housing under their own control. That's like not Christian. That doesn't mm-hmm. force them to stop selling sex if that's what they need in order to be able to eat. It's all dependent on them submitting to a certain level of control to um, and being willing to um, being like those organizations that say that they're supporting young victims of trafficking don't actually do anything to support the material needs of those trafficking survivors. They exist so that those organizations can make money. Like that's why they're there. They're part of the, you know, um, They're part of the surveillance apparatus of policing. They report to police. They report to ICE. They get funding from the same budgets. Those anti-trafficking budgets come from police budgets. Um, And, you know, they only get a small amount of money compared to what goes to police um, uh, salaries. But it just, it really honestly keeps me up at night of like what happens to people, to people who are experiencing harm or exploitation or young people um, who really need support and services. And what they get instead is criminalization and policing and racial profiling and violence from police and sexual assault by police. And they call all that anti-trafficking. Right. And try to sell us that as good for young people and as saving young people. And I think it's disgusting. Right. It's like criminalization by another name and these compassionate laws around like giving people a quote choice, like the false choice of either you go to jail or you go to this program and the program is really actually not going to help them. And it's only going to get them into the sort of surveillance state as as you were describing and not really get to the root of whatever support that these people actually need to be able to thrive in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of. um falsely um what's the word i'm looking for like they a lot of people falsely position sex workers rights and the needs of trafficking victims as being opposite to each other like they'll be like oh they're totally different and there's you know Mm -hmm. um one shouldn't you know we can't conflate sex work and trafficking which of course they're they are two different things but actually what supports people from not getting into exploitative harmful situations from not being coerced into sex work is to um is a lack of criminalization or let me, let me rephrase that. You know, what, um, what actually creates the conditions for force, for exploitation, for coercion and for violence is criminalization of sex work. You know, the criminalization of sex work forces sex work, sex workers underground 
where they do not have the same access to protections, community, uh, human or labor rights. And then, of course, there's a higher risk of abuse. You know, if you imagine, imagine if every strip club was declared illegal next week. Right. Imagine if every strip club became illegal. And this has happened in different jurisdictions where, you know, certain counties will just ban all the strip clubs. And what happens is the strippers don't go anywhere because they're still single moms who need to pay their rent in 10 days. And so then they start working secretly. They have to work in a clandestine way. And those businesses, which were already, you know, terrible on the, around their labor rights, like defining strippers as independent contractors so they don't have to, um, they don't have to obey uh, certain, they don't have to provide certain labor protections, get even worse because now it's the same club, only it's completely off the radar. Mm-hmm. And that's what the rest of sex work is like. And that's why we call for decriminalization, not legalization, so that it puts the power back into the hands of sex workers who can decide if they want to enter or exit the industry on their own terms. Yeah. And, and even to that to that end, it reminds me of um, that website that that the, the government decided to shut down. And then I can't remember the name of it. Um, all of them. I mean, yeah. Backpage, Craigslist. Exactly. They, yeah. They've gone through one by one and shut all the websites down where sex workers advertise. And in the process, what they did was they shut down the tool that sex workers used to screen their uh, clients. So the most recent law was SESTA-FOSTA. Uh, but before that, there have been other website shutdowns. And what that does is it forces sex workers again. Again, this is all done in the name of ending trafficking, right? This is all supposed to make sex workers safer. And it's all a lie. Because imagine what it does to sex workers if suddenly they can't screen their clients. Yep. You know, when Sesta Fosta went through, suddenly many sex workers who are poor and working class people who need money right now. Um, and then many of them were forced to go into unsafe situations like trying to work on the street either for the first time or returning to it um, or having to go back to an abusive relationship uh, with an ex in order to be able to uh, like have a place to live. Um, Or they had to call, you know, other people they had worked with who had been abusive um, in order to be able to make a living. So it, it caused a lot of harm. And, and there was widespread support for it though. I mean, like Bernie Sanders voted in favor of it. People loved it. People love, people love the criminalization of trafficking. They think it's great. They think it's so helpful and it's so feminist and it's so egalitarian and they are wrong, wrong, wrong because there is no way to criminalize sex work without harming, very seriously harming, harming people in the sex trade. And it is, that is overwhelmingly going to hit poor and working class women of color the most. Yeah. Can we just take 30 seconds? We we just talked about an acronym and, you know, just knowing that not all folks know what like, you know, SESTA-FOSTA is. And like, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes so folks can do a little bit more in their own research. But if you can give the sort of like elevator pitch of, of what that is and meant. Sure. Yeah. So I can't actually remember what it stands for. It's got a, it's got a long name, but essentially what it did was it criminalized websites that hosted sex work advertising. It held it held companies liable for ads that were for sex work, and so it forced these companies to shut down uh, any website that hosted the ads of sex workers. Um, and and this is happened 
sort of in many different forms year after year. But uh, FOSTA-SESTA was just the last one. Um, and it won't, it won't be the last one. I'm, you know, there, you know. Um, and the FOSTA stands for Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Sounds good. Everyone's like, sex trafficking is bad. I should be against that. We should support this bill. Um, and SESTA stands for the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. Um, and basically, it was just two pieces of law that were able to get widespread bipartisan support from the public, from lawmakers who all thought that this would be great. And, you know, without consulting sex workers. And now there is, you know, and then it led to an increase in violence against sex workers, which sex workers said would happen. And if had they been actually properly fucking consulted as they had the right to be, um, they would have known. And I mean, there was tons of evidence for this. Like sex workers know what they need and they know what kinds of conditions lead to increases in coercion or violence. And sex workers were saying loud and clear, this law will cause us harm. Um, and they were not listened to. Mm. And and you mentioned, you know, Bernie Sanders supported. I know like, you know, these like left leaning or you know, alleged left leaning celebrities were in support. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about uh, the brigade of anti-sex worker white women who also call themselves abolitionists? Because there seems to be this disconnect, even with folks that think of themselves as progressive and yet are not coming down on the right side uh, when it comes to sex worker rights. Yeah, I mean, the criminalization of sex work has been sold to us as feminist. Hmm. You know, it's been sold to us as being good for women. Even if people don't use the term feminist, it's been sold to us as being good for women. Uh, absolutely. And so a lot of people, a lot of leftists and progressives are very confused about sex. Um, and frankly, they're confused because they're not listening to the people who are most directly impacted by criminalization. Um, and so what's happened is that we've been told that criminalizing sex work in the name of fighting trafficking uh, is great for women and helps them to escape violence. Uh, when in fact it does the opposite, it creates conditions for violence. And so we've got, then there, what emerged was this group, um, this sector that saw themselves as freeing sex workers from the slavery of prostitution is how they imagined it. So they imagine, yeah, I know it's really, it's really special. So they imagine that, um, prostitution is a form of slavery. Uh, some of them don't differentiate at all around whether or not it's um, consensual or not. They see all sex work as a form of slavery. Some of them see consider it only to be slavery if it's uh, coerced, but many of them actually view sex work itself as inherently a form of slavery. And so they imagine themselves as um, the rescuers who are working to free women from the slavery of prostitution by abolishing the industry. And so they call themselves abolitionists and see themselves as sort of the modern day version of the anti-slavery movement of the 19th century. Um, they are overwhelmingly white women and their work uh, advances the criminalization overwhelmingly of women of color. So it's extremely perverse in the bad way. 
to call this, to call themselves abolitionists. They're white women who are promoting policies that lead to violence and criminalization, mostly of women of color and call themselves abolitionists. It's really something. Um, And yeah, it's quite the appropriation of a term. It's a very, very serious form of appropriation. And if people want to know more about this, I highly recommend they check out the work of Robin Maynard, who's written really great work on the whole history of this and how this works in the nonprofit world. Um, Robin Maynard's book, uh, she's, she's, she covers it in some online pieces, but she's also got a book called Policing Black Lives um, that has a chapter on this that I really recommend. And um, so, yeah, they just, they, and, and, and then this, they've bamboozled many other progressives who think that uh, eliminating the sex industry is good for women and will free them. You know, listening to you, it it reminds me of uh, anti-carceral feminism that argues that, you know, prisons just need to be more gender responsive and we need to suddenly have like pink walls in a prison and have certain types of programming uh, that's feminized and create a more safe healing environment inside of a prison. And a lot of the work that, that we're doing here in Los Angeles is trying to disavow and and um really stop using that language and that framework because prisons will never be gender responsive and uh incarceration can never meet the needs of women um and and folks that are gender non-conforming and trans uh, but i i definitely see those parallels in in terms of the, the framework and and how folks talk about it yeah it's very similar it's basically just the shady way that people are trying to repackage a pro-prison pro-police agenda and with prisons what they'll say is well let's create a mental health prison let's create a more gender responsive prison And, you know, the best thing for people who need mental health services and the best thing for women is no prison, right? (laughs) Right. Um, And then with sex work, what they'll say is, well, okay, you know, maybe let's not criminalize sex work, but let's just criminalize the trafficking, right? We're going to criminalize the trafficking. And then in the fine print, you find out that how they define trafficking is always sex work. The way they define trafficking is always already Um, to conflate it with sex work. And the thing is, they're just like prison can't be feminist. Criminalizing any part of the sex industry can't be feminist. It Mm -hmm. can't be. It will always be harmful. First of all, it's, it's, it's just by design in its DNA. There is no form of criminalization that is not racist. There isn't the non-racist version of policing. It, it can't exist. Right. And so when some people are like, well, you know, I, I'm fine with sex work, but we really need to criminalize the sex buyers and and right, yeah, that was coming to me like the the Nordic model, right? Yeah. The, sort of like lifted up as like the yeah. the uh, you know best practice of yeah. uh, criminalization. Well, they call it the Nordic model for a reason. It's the white lady model. You could just call it that. <laughs> Why don't you just call it that and be honest about it? You could say Nordic, or you could just say white lady. It's the white lady model. So why don't we just call it that? Okay, so in the white lady model, the mm-hmm. idea is that the, the, the women, they won't call them workers, uh, and uh, the women uh, get to be, you know, decriminalized. They'll call this partial decriminalization. 
and they'll say, we're not going to bust the women. We're just going to arrest the bad men um, and, and the bosses, right? Or they'll use the language of pimp, which is a highly racialized term. Um, which is meant to scare people. It's meant to scare people when they talk about the sex buyers and the pimps. And in the white lady model, you're supposed to be asymmetrical criminalization. They're only going to criminalize one side of the industry, the male side, and then the women are going to be free. It doesn't work that way at all. And they know it. It never has and it never will. Criminalization is white supremacy full fucking stop. You can't criminalize any part of the industry without white supremacy. So where we have the Nordic model, you know, it's led to an enormous increase on the criminalization of migrant workers, Mm. some of the most visible workers, Mm -hmm. Um, because sex workers have to go underground then. The women can, uh, you know, the workers have to still work. because they need to make a living or because they want to sell sex. Um, And so they have to go, they have to hide well enough that the clients will still come to them. Mm. And so criminalization means that you, you anywhere they have applied this model, what do you think happens when you apply a model, a white lady model um, is that you still end up with police trolling community, working class communities of color doing busts on street workers, um, trolling immigrant neighborhoods, looking for to do arrests. Criminalization is never going to mean that the cops show up in the rich white neighborhood mm. ever, right. right? Because that's not the point of the law. I mean, it's not the point of any law, right? Um, and so it's just a fake repackaging of pro-police, pro-prison, white supremacy, and they call it feminist. And so that's then, the Nordic model. And that's the equality model. So-called equality model. Um, yeah. So then I guess it leads to the, it, it begs the natural question of like, what is needed and what does criminalization, or excuse me, decriminalization, what does decriminalization mean? What does it look like? What what would effective policies look like? Well, for, you know, First, I want to take us back to the beginning, which is that we have to think about the fact that, again, to not over-sexualize this issue, the issues that sex workers face are because of who they are. They are poor and working class, racialized women, cisgender and trans and migrant. Okay, so what do those people need? A fucking revolution. Like, you know, the the end of racial capitalism, like that's what sex workers need. You know, I mean, we can get into the fine point of decriminalization, but what decriminalization does is it reduces one tool that the state has to oppress certain communities. And that's good. We want that just like we want the decriminalization of drugs. But if we decriminalize all drugs, is that going to end white supremacy? No, we need to end white supremacy to end white supremacy, right? (laughs) They'll just find something else. They'll, they'll criminalize like God knows what gardening they'll make something up that they can use to attack communities of color until we deal with the root problem, which is the massive power imbalance between people of color and white people until we deal with the ruling class, having a chokehold, over our survival in our lives. That's the root problem. So no, we, you know, we don't want rules that criminalize sex work. And I can explain in a second more what that looks like. But actually the root of the problem is that massive inequity and the power imbalance and the communities, working class communities and communities of color that need more power 
that's the, you know, that's, that's what sex workers actually need. Um, because yeah. what de- decriminalization does is it just, it plucks one weapon out of the arsenal of the state. Mm-hmm. And that's good. We need that. We want that. That's good. We yeah. want that right now. That is not the root problem. If that state still has the power to just criminalize something else, then we haven't dealt with the problem. They'll just change shape. They'll just, they'll just like, right. okay, we're going to make it vagrancy laws. And if you walk to the Seven Eleven, we're going to say that you're committing a, a crime. You know what I mean? They'll just right. pick something else. It's random. It's arbitrary. Right. But what decriminalization means, like, yes, decriminalization is good. Decriminalization is like with the decriminalization of drugs. You don't want to have somebody have to have a license to use some drugs because immediately, what are you going to have? All the people who didn't get the license and now they have an excuse to criminalize them. Mm -hmm. So what you want for sex work is to just pull sex work out of the criminal code entirely and for it to be regulated in a way that is similar to other businesses. And those regulations have to be designed by sex workers and they have to be designed by the most marginalized sex workers who need sex work as a very low barrier way to get money. So basically sex work regulations should be designed by like homeless trans women. That's who should be designing sex work regulations because if it doesn't work for them, then it's just going to criminalize them. Mm-hmm. It's going to hurt them actually really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for example, what we have in, um, some jurisdictions that have decriminalized, like in New Zealand, you know, it's like, if you're a sex worker, you don't need a license, you don't need to register with anyone. And you can work with other people, because that increases your safety of up to five people without needing any kind of registration. And that's low barrier. Right. Mm -hmm. So that means somebody can just work and legal to work on the street. Because what if you don't have a place you can take a client? Mm. You need to be able to work on the street. Right. So they've made that they decriminalized street work. Um, However, they have still made that decriminalization. Migrants are not eligible. It's illegal for migrants to sell sex in every jurisdiction in the world, actually. Um, And there's a reason for that. It's political. That's because they're trying to control and criminalize migrant women and what kind of work they do. Um, But. That's what decriminalization does is it just sort of removes one of the weapons. It takes the boot off the neck and sex workers have the, are able to work under the conditions of their own choosing without a lot of heavy involvement uh, from the state and it's low barrier. Um, And, and, you know, obviously it should include things like the evacuation of all former convictions and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's harm reduction, right? It's, it's not, actually dismantling the system but it's it's a protection yeah i mean i think we have like sometimes we're careful about using the language of harm reduction because that implies that sex work is the harm Mm. and it's you know and sex work is not harmful like having sex isn't harmful if you add 100 bucks to it it didn't just get dangerous like there's nothing harmful about nothing inherently harmful what it is is like we need to reduce the harms of the state not sex. exactly i think that's what yeah that's what we're getting at it's like reduce the harms of the state when uh, people are confronted with. Yeah. yeah. And to, and it's a, you know, and that's kind of like a non-reformist reform. We try to take away some of the tools of the state. We don't try to expand it in any way, give it more credibility, uh, legitimacy, uh, budget or power. We're trying to reduce all that, shrink all that on sex workers' lives. Um, and then what sex workers needs, they're a part of communities that are oppressed and those communities need power. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That's the solution. That's that about that. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, we've come to the end of our conversation, Chanel, and just want to, you know, thank you so much for joining, joining us on this journey to talk about sex work and sex worker advocacy and all that goes into this and really getting clear on some definitions and getting our audience to just understand a little bit better this, this issue. And with that, if folks do want to dig in a little bit deeper on this, um, we're definitely going to link to what has already emerged, things that you have talked about already through the course of our conversation. But if there's anything else that's coming to your mind right now that you want to throw out there that we can link to in the show notes, uh, feel free to shout it out. I mean, I really recommend that people check out some of the left activist sex work organizations um, that are really active right now that are doing really amazing and important and powerful work. Um, off the top, the two that folks that I recommend people check out are uh, Butterfly Asian and Migrant Sex Workers, which is an organization in Toronto that I've been working with for years, and in New York City, Red Canary Song. Mm. Um, I recommend checking both those out. Check out the work of Robin Maynard, um, and that's M-A-Y-N-A-R-D. And uh, gosh, there's, I mean, there's so much good work happening uh, I'm also thinking about the, some of the decrim campaigns that are really being led by black and brown folks in the U S uh, both cis and trans I'm in my mind, I'm going through the coasts. <laughs> There's so many projects happening. Oh, check out Snapco. Uh, what does Snapco stand for again? Solutions, not punishment collaborative in Atlanta, Georgia which is a black trans led organization that I recommend checking out. This is, this is amazing. It gives folks a place to land, do additional research, also donate to those organizations, you know, provide yes. mutual aid, provide funds, you know, um, if you can. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chanel. This has been such a rich conversation and just super timely. Um, and you know, not just here in California, but internationally, these conversations around migration in particular. I'm, I'm really glad that we got to delve into that. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much, guys. This has been awesome. And yeah, I mean, you saying that it's timely just makes me think too about the fact that sex work exploded under the pandemic as people needed a way to make a living. And so this is only going to be, be more and more of an issue as more people are pushed into poverty and also as millions more people migrate and need low barrier work. Like sex work is um, seen as a really niche thing, but actually it's a really significant economic issue for poor women and for migrants. And it's not going anywhere. Thank you. We'll, we'll close it on that. Find links to what we talked about today in the show notes, which can be found at patreon.com slash smallbeans. Follow white people for black lives on social media platforms at WP, the number four, BL, and follow Surge National at showing up for racial justice, all words spelled out. And you can follow Chanel on Twitter at Chanel Gallant. You can get in touch with us at Bold Conversations Pod at gmail.com. The podcast is hosted by me, Yvette Ale, and Dahlia Ferlito. It is produced by Kareem Alzane and Hannah Jers-Allen of White People for Black Lives and Michael Swain of Small Beans Comedy. <laughs>